The series we're in right now is, is called, uh, called and, and we're talking about what it means to be called to the kingdom of God. And, and we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And today I want to talk to you about called to higher desires. That, 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 God, that we are called, we are people. This, the Sermon on the Mount was not just about good, clean living. The, the Sermon on the Mount was about kingdom living and what does the kingdom look like. And today we're going to talk about something that Jesus said about desires. And it made me think about something. This is a little bit awkward for me to talk about just because, I don't know, it seems a little strange, but I, I will find out in a minute if it's not. So, uh, that, so th- this, uh, this week I, I, I picked up something. Um, I've never been one for jewelry. Like after 23 years, I'm still aware of a wedding ring. And it, it's, it's, that's, that's a good thing though, right? You know, uh, that I, but I still can't, it, even I, I, every day I wear my watch, I feel it. It's really weird, but I, I've never been a necklace kind of guy. And for our anniversary this year, uh, the Lord put a verse on my heart this year that I wanted to keep here. I didn't want it to be in the back of my head. I wanted it to be in the front of my face, right? And it's, the, the, it's a very simple, it's Matthew chapter 13. You don't, don't, don't turn there. We're not going there today, but it's, it's about the, what's often called the pearl of great value, the pearl of great price. And it's a very simple story about a man who was a fine merchant. He is a pearl owner and he found, he found the perfect pearl and he could get it, but in order to get it, he had to liquidate all he had and, and then go buy the one he wants. So, so I had this uh, necklace made. I'm testing it out. I don't know if it's going to work or not. I hope it does, but it's a uh, so I've never been a necklace kind of guy, but that's the Tahitian pearl. And if, before you get all freaked out about cost over that, it, it wasn't that big a deal. Um, but they are really cool. And, and, and I wanted something to wear around my neck. You won't be able to see it. Now everybody knows about it. And it's kind of strange that I'm even bringing this up now that I think about it. But, but, but that the reality is for me that the kingdom of God, as I've reflected back on my own personal journey with Jesus my own personal story with Jesus, when I, I'm very thankful that I had a pastor. Uh, My first pastor, I was a a 17-year-old kid when I came to Christ, and it's the first time I ever heard the word kingdom of God. Never heard that phrase in my life. And I didn't grow up, you know, listening to those kind of things, but but I began to say, what what is this kingdom? And, And I've been intrigued, literally intrigued and obsessed about kingdom living since I came to Christ. I really have. And I, I, when you look at the kingdom of God, it's about an invading force. It's, it's about, it's not, it's, it's not just something that's for now or later. It's now and it's later. The kingdom of God is now and the kingdom of God is, is in fact, I, I said it this way. Kingdom life is about life here and now. It's also about life later. But when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is about life to be lived now, not later. And so God has God ushered in a kingdom, and that is about the here and the now. So today, we're going to turn to Matthew 5. We're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount for about 11, 12 more weeks. And uh, if you haven't read the Sermon on the Mount, in 12 minutes and 50 seconds, you can do it if you read at a steady pace. But I hope you read it slow. I would encourage you. You know what, by the way, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 5, if you really want to do something cool, get off by yourself where nobody can hear you and read the sermon out loud. Read the Sermon on the Mount out loud. It's interesting how it changes in ways that it doesn't on the page. So Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said in verse 6, he said, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now that word blessed is a word, it's kind of a, 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 
a shaky word. It, it means happy, but not like happy, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, party, circus, having a good meal kind of happy. It, 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 it almost, if it weren't for the, the Holy Spirit connotations, it almost means lucky or fortunate. And that's the idea. And we know we don't believe in luck. We have a sovereign God. But it means, wow, are you blessed. That's, that's what it means. Wow, are you in a good spot. Wow, are you in a good position. So Jesus said, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, what? There's a promise. They'll be satisfied. And then in Matthew 5, 8, he kind of says something somewhat similar, but obviously a little bit different. He says, blessed are the what? The pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for, for they will see God. And so the, the reality, the question we have to ask ourselves is, what, what do these verses mean? Well, in, in a word, what they mean, it's about cravings. It, it's about cravings. Blessed are the pure in heart, that, that, that's a craving. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst, that's a craving. And so that, that's kind of the, the simple idea here, that, that there's a, a, a craving in your heart. And what is your heart? That's your mind, your heart, your will, your, it's your soul. Your, your, your mind, your heart, your will, your emotions, your attitude. It's, the, it's your internal DNA, the spiritual component. And in that, there's a craving there of, of a purging where, where you, you want to align your heart with God's heart. And I want to tell you something, friend. If you have Christ in you, and if Christ in you is the hope of glory, then I want to tell you something. Regardless of what your appetite is, the Holy Spirit can change your appetite. Do, do you understand that? The whole, you better hope he can. Because if he, if, if he doesn't change your heart, and if he doesn't change your will, and if he doesn't change your attitude, well, that's your fault. Right? I mean, in reality, that's just the truth. The Holy Spirit is in the changing business. So let's talk about what it's not for a second. When Jesus is talking about righteousness here, let me tell you what he's not talking about. He's not talking about good, clean living. I brought that up last week. You know why? You don't need Jesus to be good. Right? You don't need Jesus to be good. It's, it's a lot easier but you don't need Jesus to be good. Jesus isn't talking about good, clean living in the Sermon on the Mount. But also when it, when it comes to Matthew 5 and 6 and Matthew 5, 8, he's also not talking about being redeemed from the power of sin. Blessed are the pure in heart. He's not talking about being redeemed from the power of sin. No, because that's a legal transaction. If you look at the word, if you're around the Christian world much at all, you may have heard this word justification. And, and that just simply means that God made you legally clean in front of his eyes. Okay? Meaning that when he looks at you, he sees Christ in you. And that is what got you the ability to enter into heaven. Christ in you. That's a, so justification is about a legal separation that God has redeemed you from the power of sin that it had over your life. But that's not what Jesus is talking about right here. Okay, he's talking about something different. He's also not talking about re following religious practices. Notice something that you didn't find in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who have really great doctrine for they will be theologically smart, right? He didn't say that. Now, great doctrine is important, it's really important. But notice he said about the Pharisees, he said, you know what? They're not going to make it. And they were masters at doctrine. But it was an intellectual pursuit. So if that's not what it is, then what is it? What, that's the question, right? What is kingdom righteousness? That, that's the question we're after. What, what is kingdom righteousness? 
Right? Well, I defined it for you. Okay, let's look. What is kingdom? There you go. What is kingdom righteousness? Let's, let's, let's find out. It's a genuine desire for the absence of spiritual pollution. That's what Jesus is getting at right here. It's a genuine desire for the absence of spiritual pollution. That's what, that's what we want to see. We don't want anything in our lives that doesn't bring us closer to God, that's anti-kingdom. There was a, I'm going to show you a quote in just a minute. Uh, there was a, a, a man that I, was kind of on my bucket list. You, you, ever, you ever like have these people you wish you could meet? Like I have a long list of people that I would love to meet. But every now and then, that six degrees of separation, you ever read up on that? Uh, uh, YouTube, the, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's pretty, pretty cool um, for those of you that were children of the 80s. But in, in the six degrees of separation, this isn't even my notes. This is just really good stuff. You just need to know it. Um, but there's a theory out there that you're only six people removed from anybody in the world, okay? That you're only, there's a layer of only six people between you and pick anybody, Derek Jeter, who, whatever, you know, LeBron James, pick anybody you want, right? So uh, sometimes that's, that those six layers shrink into one. And one, one person that I, I've always admired, uh, and I'm, I'm going to show you this quote, don't show the picture yet, but it's a man named R.T. Kendall. And R.T. Kendall was, in my world, he's a giant. Um, he was the pastor of Westminster Chapel. He, he followed uh, G. Campbell Morgan. I mean, he fa- followed uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and then Martin Lloyd-Jones followed, I'm pretty sure he followed uh, G. Campbell Morgan. That would be like, you know, uh, Joe DiMaggio right up to, you know, pick another player in the, in the 70s or 80s, and then pick Derek Jeter if you're into baseball, okay? It's like, wow. I mean, those are some pretty, pretty amazing people. Well, I got to have lunch. Uh, we had a, had a club sandwich with, uh, it wasn't that great of a club sandwich, uh, but it was just a restaurant that we went to, but I got to sit down with R.T. Kendall, and I'm like, wow, that's R.T. Kendall sitting like seven, you know, inches from my plate, and that was pretty cool. We talked about the UK, and he's an American pastor. He, he's from Kentucky, but he went to Trevecca, of all things. And, and so RRT uh, is a really good friend of somebody here in our church. And, and so anyway, uh, I, he, I was reading one of his books recently, and he said something that really got to me about the kingdom of God and what that means. And this is, this is what RT said. He said, the kingdom of God is the unhindered spirit in our lives. And I thought, you know what, that may be the best definition I've ever heard in my life. The kingdom of God is the unhindered or the unquenched spirit of God in our lives. So it means that we don't want to hold God back, right? You don't want to hold God. You don't want to have anything in your life that's a tyrant. So for instance, let's say you're, you're really mad at someone. If you haven't been any, mad at somebody recently, just wait. It'll happen again. Okay, it, it'll happen again. It happens all the time. And so what we find with anger is when anger goes deep, we don't want anger in our lives. Why do we not want anger in our lives? We don't want anger in our lives because it's not, it's not that sometimes anger isn't justified. It's the simple fact that I don't want resident anger to block or hinder the free flow of the spirit in my life. I would rather have the free flow of the spirit in my life than just being mad, even though being mad was justified. You with me? Yeah. It, it, you know, it's, it's no secret around here. I, I, I like Sundrop in the can uh, specifically, you know, the aluminum can. If you're not from the South, that's a drink made from God, okay? And it, it was bottled in my hometown. I had no hope. 
It was bottled in my hometown and I was going to love it because it was around every, it was at every baseball game and every parent had it in their coolers before they had, you know, like, uh, uh, what are those uh, Capri Suns? No, we had the real deal. We had the nectar from the heavens. And, and so the problem with that stuff is it's not good for you. And, and it also is, it's, it's just really bad for you. And so I, I really began to realize that I want to be healthy more than I want that. It's not that I don't want the sun drop. It's just that I want, I want something else more than I want that. What does that have to do with kingdom living? I think it has a lot to do with kingdom living and blessed are the pure in heart and blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. I, th- I think it has a lot to do with that because you see, sin is a tyrant. Sin is a tyrant made and developed from the chief architect of tyranny. And the chief architect of tyranny wants to own you. He wants to own who you are. He wants to own your family. He wants to own your desires. So the reason that we have cravings and the reason that our cravings matter, in fact, I would go so far as to say that your cravings determine your behavior. Did you know that? That's what Jesus said, right? He said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Well, let's flip it. Not blessed are those who do not hunger and do not thirst for righteousness, for they will not be satisfied. So if you invert it, 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 it tells you. Your cravings will determine your behavior. Sin separates us from God. And sin separates us from the anti-kingdom life, the anti-life. Jesus said, I came to give you what? Death? No, life. Jesus said, I came to give you life. So, so anything that separates us from life, even though it, we're, we've already been redeemed, no, anything that separates us in the here and now, well, we don't need it in our lives. Your cravings, your cravings will determine your behavior. So, so why, why does appetite matter? That's the big question. Why does appetite matter? And I want to unpack that just for a second. Because your appetite, that's what we're talking about here. Your appetite matters to God. Well, here, here's why your appetite matters. You ready for this? Your appetite matters because your life will follow the path of what you are trusting. Now, I want you to sit on that for a minute. Your, your life, your life journey, your life navigation, you know, the path you walk every day, that path will be determined by your cravings. You'll go after what you want. You will. You you will go after what you want. God gave you a free will. Go back to the Garden of Eden. What did they say to God? God said, you can have all these things, just don't mess with that. And they said, no, I actually do want that. He said, you can have it, but it's not free. It's not free. There's cost. See, your life will follow the trajectory of whatever you're trusting. I I brought a chair up here this morning, and uh, I want to put it here where you can see it. I've used this illustration before. I'm going to use it again. So this chair, it has a form, right? It has a a, a mold. So if I'm going to put, you know, my trust the, the, the structure of this chair is going to hold me up. Something's got to, I've got to trust that chair enough to sit in it. And, but notice what happens to my body. My body takes on the form of what I trust. Literally, it takes on the form of what I trust. Whatever you trust and whatever you're looking to for life 
or what you think is life, well, your, your life is going to fit the mold of whatever you trust. You know, that's, that's what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because your cravings determine your behavior. So why does appetite matter? Because you're going to chase what you love most. Uh, you know, we, um, we've had a man, Ronnie Floyd, and I'm going to show you his quote. Don't show it yet. Ronnie, Ronnie's preached here several times, and he's been a terrific friend to me. Ronnie is um, the CEO of the Executive Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's a, an amazing man, and he's a very humble man. But Ronnie, the last time he was here, Ronnie said something that really stuck inside my own DNA. And it really hit me, and I haven't forgotten it. This is what Ronnie said. He said, God will never do greater things through you than he has first done in you. God will never do greater things in you than he has first, or through you, than he has first done in you. See, the reason that we want our cravings to pursue the heart of God so many of you, you know what you pray all the time? So many of you pray all the time, oh God, use me. Oh God, let me experience you. Oh God, let me, let me experience life. Oh God, uh, bless my family. R- really? You know, I get asked to do weddings all the time over the last, you know, many years of my ministry. And it's always fascinating to me when people want me to do a wedding, which they, they're wanting me to bless something that they have in turn not decided they want blessed at all. They want a church wedding because it makes their parents feel better. I mean, we're just being real for a minute. I know that wasn't you, it's just other people, okay? But they, they want me to stand before God and say, oh God, this couple wants you to bless their home. When in fact, they're not interested in changing their lives at all. They just want a church wedding. So there have been times that I've had parents get really mad at me because I'm like, can't do your wedding. Why? Well, for one thing, he's not a believer. Let's start with that. And he's not interested in being one either. So you're asking me to violate scripture and I, don't, I, I care way more about that than I do your mama. Now, I don't say it just quite that harsh, okay? <laughs> I put some Southern on it, you know. But... But that's the truth. We, we, we stand before God and we ask God, oh God, I want, I want to be a family for Jesus. I want to be a family for God. Really? Because God's not going to do through you what he hasn't first done in you. Ronnie, Ronnie's right. Appetite matters because your, your life will follow the path of what you're trusting. And what you're trusting will shape how you make your decisions. Amen? Better hope. It, it made me think about something this week when I was putting this together. I hadn't thought about this couple in ages. Let me show you. I haven't talked to them in forever. This is Wade and Heidi. Remember them? Um, so when, when I was pastoring at Belmont, uh, Wade was a, a third baseman for Belmont, and they began to come. Isn't, isn't that the cutest? That's just... They've been, they got kids now. It made me think about, you know, I saw... I went back and found a wedding picture, and I had, didn't have much of a bald spot. It was awesome, and... Um, but 
But I, I remember, and, and the reason I can share this story with you is because Heidi shared it to our whole church. It was a powerful, I will never forget that Sunday. I will never forget that Sunday. Because Heidi, I mean, she's just a little thing. She's just, she knew she's just a sweet little girl. And, and she, when you saw her, she was, you ever seen one of these people, like when you see them, they're just always in a good mood, like passionately in a good mood. One of the best consistent attitudes of any person I'd ever found. And so Wade was from Alaska. Heidi was from California. And, and uh, they met and they went, they met at Belmont. And, and um, we were doing this series on, on sex. And, and so we, we, Heidi had a really neat story. And Heidi, when she was uh, in her teenagers, in her teenage years, her middle teens, she had lost her virginity. And she went several years later and, and uh, then she met Wade and, and uh, Wade and Heidi, just like you always saw them together. It was just the coolest thing. And so Heidi, we told her story about, you know, you got to remember at Belmont, my, 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 my um, church was full of university students and a lot of them were there. And, and as we were going through this series, Heidi pointed out all of the things that you're not often told about shame and about struggle and how, how you were told that this would make life better and actually it made it way worse. How you were told that, you know, oh, this is going to be, this is what everybody does. And then when, when she followed through with that and, and she said that it actually brought me nothing that I was told it would bring. And she shared this all. And, and I remember after that particular Sunday, I can still see it in my mind. There were, after it was over, like most people head for the door, you know, because you're trying to get to Connors or something, you know. And, and, and yet all these people came to Heidi, old, young college students because they just couldn't believe that this you know this 19 20 21 year old young lady had the the spine to talk about her life and one of the things I learned that 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 Heidi taught me it it was uh, I'm having a hard time talking about it in, in a good way one of the things that that 20 year old girl taught me as her pastor was that you may have lost your virginity, but you can regain your purity. You can regain your purity. Because you see, when, when Heidi came to Christ, what happened was she began to hunger and thirst for righteousness even more than she hungered and thirst for Wade and his approval. And so what she began to do was she, she put her heart in the control of the king And her desire for righteousness was more than her desire for gratification. So I got to go to California and do their wedding. And whenever I see pictures of them, I'm like, wow, I was there. And it it was this beautiful picture of of, of what God can do. Blessed are those that are pure in heart. What's the promise? For they will see God. You know what that means, don't you? That doesn't mean you're going to see God later. Oh, you will. It means you will see God now. You will experience. What is, when you see something, is that, is, is, when you see something, is that an intellectual, intellectual deal? No. When you see something, witness something, that's an experience, right? You ever gone to a concert? You saw a concert. No, you experienced a concert, right? So, so if you want to see God, 
then your cravings will dictate that. And I, I want to take a second. And I felt really led to bring this up as I was putting my study together this week. And I want you to listen. I'm going to split some generations up for a second. And I'm not picking on anybody. I'm, I'm segmenting you out in as far as generations go. And I'm not going to like, I'm, I'm going to have to draw some generational lines, but you may fall on one side or the other of that. But, but the generation that's currently, like let's say above 60, if you're more than 60, you grew up in a, if you grew up in church, or even, even if, you, if you grew up in America, if you're above 60, you grew up in a generational culture that, you know, had a pretty high view of God. Even, even if you didn't go to church, there was still respect for God, even in the schools. I remember in 19, maybe 79, um, being, that would put me about in the second grade, I remember Miss Jennings, I, 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 it, it was no big deal. She, she would open her Bible and she would give us about a five-minute devotion every morning in a public school. No big deal. That was right here in Tennessee. It's just how it was. So you grew up in a culture like that where there was a pretty high view of God, but also God was kind of hard to please too because there was a lot of religious rules. You know, you put on your Sunday best, Raise your hand if you had the Sunday best. Come on, don't lie. We're in church. Okay, most of you, so there's some honest folks. There's, there's many of you that are like, I'm just, I, I'm gonna give you a pass. I hate hand raising too. I should have never done that to you. I think that's a dumb game, all right? That's why I don't wear name tags. If I come to your event, I'm not wearing a name tag, all right? I'm just putting that out there. All right, I'm gonna rather know your name, whatever. So, but if, you, if you've grown up, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw out there, age of 32, 32 and down. If you're 32 and down, if you've gone to church, you grew up in an era where the music and the church feel was that God is your friend. And that's true. But I'm drawing polar extremes here, right? So one generation grew up where there was a big respect for God. If you're 32 and down, you've grown up in a generation where God is your friend. And let me, but let me tell you what's happened in the last 15 years or so in that type of church environment. That's not clear. That's nationwide, folks. I, I want to say it to you this way. God is your friend. But before God is anything, he is holy. Before he's anything, he's holy. And, and, and I fear what has happened in the Christian church, in the American church, is that Jesus has become far more our homeboy and our fist bump than he has the splendor of the king who splits the skies with a sword in his mouth and judges the nations. And I want to say to all of you, regardless of your age, when you stand before a holy God one day, he is, if you're in Christ, he is going to love you and it is going to be amazing what you experience. But I'm going to tell you, in that moment, you are not going to want to fist bump the king. Okay? You are not. 
I don't know if I'm even going to be able to look up because I might die. What did he do with Moses? He said, I tell you what, you want to experience me so much, big boy? Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a place in a rock, stick your face in it. I'll let you hear me. I'll let you feel me. But you can't see me because you'll die. That was the same God then that is the God now. And so you need to understand, I want to say something to all of you younger generations, God is your friend. But what's happened in the American church is we talk about all of these relationship issues with God our friend and God our friend and God our friend. And so I think what's happened is it's not such a big deal if we don't have a pure heart. It's not such a big deal that we long for righteousness. And I'm going to say to you, friend, I am not trying to shame you. What I am trying to say to you is your appetite for the holiness of God matters. If you're going to live for the king, you're going to blow it at times. Yes, you are. I don't care if you're 75 or 15, you're going to blow it. I don't, and the Bible says in Hebrews that we can approach the throne of grace with what? Confidence. I can come home to the Lord with confidence. But that doesn't mean that I stroll into Jesus and high five him because he is the one that didn't deserve it and was nailed to a cross and a spear was stuck into his side and he was mocked and he was beaten. And then he came out of that grave because he was the only one that could do it. And that God deserves our intense admiration. That God deserves our best. He's a holy God. So when you think about the kingdom life, it's not a do-better life. If you've ever tried the do-betters, I really hope you quit. The do-betters don't work. I should write a book on that. Don't do the do-betters. They just never work. So how do you know? That's the real question, isn't it? How do you know if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Did, think about it. How do, you, how do you know where you stand? How do you know where you are with hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Well, I've got a couple of questions that might might, might help you. I would ask you, what are you experiencing now? What, What are you experiencing now? And I use that word experiencing on purpose. Because the pursuit of God is not just an intellectual one. It better not be. If you're all doctrine, you're gonna dry up, right? If you're all experienced, you're going to blow up, right? You know, there's an old joke that Pentecostals are afraid that Baptists are going to miss heaven. And Baptists are afraid Pentecostals are going to run right past it. You'll get that on Thursday. It's a good joke. What do you... When I talk about experiencing, what are you experiencing daily? Is the kingdom life hard for you? 
You know, I've got a friend of mine, when I hear him talk about God, he's a pastor. When I hear him talk about God, he and I have a conversation coming because we're really close friends. We have a conversation coming soon. He doesn't know it, but I'm burdened for him because I can hear in his language, it's almost like God is always a little bit mad at him. You ever been there? You ever grown up around that? Some of you did. God's not mad at you. God's not mad at you. He, Jesus came to give us life. But what are, are you experiencing that? Here's another question for you when it comes to the kingdom life. What do you give your best to? I want you to think about that. What, what do I give my best to? And I really want you to ponder it, friends. I'm, I'm telling you, look around. Audit your life. Audit your life. What are you, what gets your best? What gets your best money? What gets your best hopes? Here's a good one. You want to see something here? Here's a good one. What gets your best time? What gets your best time? Let me tell you, you know, by the way, this isn't something Jason made up. I have heard too many of them to mention. I've heard too many career coaches and I've heard too many life coaches all say the same thing. Just show me your bank account and show me your calendar and I will tell you where your God is. What you spend your money on and what you spend your time on will tell you what matters most. So, so what, what do you give your best to? I don't know how to answer that. But it's a tough question. Here's another one. If a satellite tracked you on all of your conversations for a month, what would dominate those conversations? If those conversations are recorded, and you know what, I'm starting to think they kind of are. Because I don't know about you, but anything I search on Google pops up all the time in emails and text, it's whatever. But if a satellite tracked all your conversations for a month and, we were to, and you and I were to sit down and we were to listen to that, what dominates those conversations? I, I don't know. But I do know this. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart already is. Not where it's headed, where it's at. That's in the Sermon on the Mount too. If you want different desires, I want to leave you by saying that you can ask God to change them. You do realize that, don't you? If you you want different desires, all you have to do is mean it when you say, God, change my desires appetite. Fill me and change my appetite. And if you're willing for that appetite to be changed, he will change it. He will. So that in the words of R.T. Kendall, the spirit would have unhindered access in our lives. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, 
think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.